I am so appreciative of our worship team. I think many of you, I know we brag on them a lot, but they get here very early in the morning to make all this possible. And uh, I'm just uh, so thankful for them. And for Wesley, for leading, uh, one of the coolest things about being here as long as we've been here is the fact that we've seen God raise up uh, some of these uh, young people into the roles that they have in leading our church. Uh, We've seen that uh, over the last 30 years with our deacons and how God has raised up leaders, and uh, it's been really cool to watch that, Uh, all the way to our pastors. Uh, Some of you may not know, but all our pastors were members before they actually became pastors here on staff, and uh, it's really cool to see how God has just developed those, uh, especially as I was sitting there thinking about Wesley today and how God has developed him in his worship, and uh, it's really cool to see, so I do also want to commend him on 10 years of great work. First things first, this has been our series for the last month now, uh, uh, maybe not last Sunday. Uh, I'm glad to see you back this Sunday. Some of you have been through the sickness already, got it behind you, it's good for you. Uh, some of you yet to be sick. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, uh, it, it, I tell you, it is amazing, the sickness it is going around. And um, uh, from what I hear, uh, we should be done with most of all this because it's moving so quickly in the next three weeks. So let's pray to that end that we can get that behind us as in the community here uh, and then kind of move on and hope the weather cooperates with us going forward so we can kind of get back the momentum we have as a church as we come to worship the Lord. Well, a couple weeks ago, we uh, looked at two weeks. There was actually two weeks of us looking at what it means to mature spiritually. And today we're going to be looking at what it means to mature in wisdom. Now, the two are closely related, but I want to take off on a different path when it comes to the idea of wisdom. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to remind you of the series introduction. In Luke 2.52, we read that Jesus grew in the same four areas we should grow to be, more, to be fully mature. Just as he, we are expected to mature mentally, physically, spiritually, and relationally. And we learned this from Luke 2, verse 52. It says, And Jesus increased in wisdom. Some people would say that's the mental, the intellect. He, he also in statue and in favor with God and men. Now, what's interesting about this verse is the fact that when we look at God, we know that God is complete in all things. So when we look at a verse like this and we think of Jesus who came to this world as a babe and then he grows into be this man that he's grown to be in, it's really hard to get our minds around the fact that what did he really have to grow into? Well, I think there's places in Scripture, and I think there's one like this, that shows us that we are to model all that Jesus is. I mean, we are. We, we are to follow Jesus. We are to become more into the likeness of Jesus. And so, therefore, when it comes to these things, I think there is intentionality, and God has a desire for us to grow in our faith, but not just grow in our faith, grow in every aspect of life that has been given us. So, let's start this morning with the idea of the mind. I want you to think about it. The mind. The mind, really, when you think about it, is very similar to these musical instruments. That's, we're talking about our mind. The mind is like the instrument, while the capability of the mind is the one who plays it. Now, think about it. We, to, to be proficient in these uh, instruments, we've got to practice. We've got to learn how to use these instruments before they can have any meaning. 
The same results is as it results to our mind. The mind is also like a muscle. While knowledge, understanding, and discernment, excuse me, discernment determines the size and the ability of the muscle. Think about how physically we, we work on muscles. And, 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 and uh, of course, you can look at me and tell I do a lot of lifting. Um, <clears throat> no. Don't do any of that. But anyway, but the, but the point is, the more we exercise the muscle, the more of its capability. We stretch it. We are able to, to produce something. There's something that's there. As, the, as a baby, the body can grow, uh, but when it's not exposed to physical labor or uh, challenging exercise, so as our muscles weaken, our mind can weaken. Now think about that. The mind weakens. It can get out of shape. Now, how many of you, as you've gone through seasons of your life, have noticed that you can get a little sluggish with your mind? Yeah, that happens. Some of us who are older, uh, we can't remember things like we used to, can we? Uh, But then there's been those times, I don't know about you, but sometimes if I don't discipline my mind to study, if I don't discipline my mind to be engaged uh, mentally or intellectually, guess what? I become very sluggish. And, and so I, we have to literally work our minds for it to become proficient in all that I believe God desires us to become and do. So when it comes to mental development, I believe mental development for the Christian, for those of us who are believers in Christ, the fact that the Holy Spirit is within us, leading us, directing us, I believe mental development when it comes to that is the idea of producing godly wisdom in us. So how do we do that? The mind, as I said, must be disciplined to produce wisdom. The mind must be taught to observe and appreciate the messages God has given us. The mind must be trained to pursue information, ideas, and insights for the purpose of assimilation to make one wise. So let me ask you a simple question. What kind of investments are you currently making towards your mental development. What are you doing right now? If you were to say, um, if I were to ask the question like I have, what are you doing? Do you read? Do I mean, I, I found this to be amazing. Uh, did you know that men, particularly men, women have a better percentage. Men, 95%, think about this, almost 95% of men will never read another book after their education. Think about that. 95%. Now, women, you do a little bit better. I think that number's in the 70%. But I want you to think about that. And again, we got to understand, how are we challenging ourselves mentally? How are we challenging ourselves intellectually? But more importantly, if these things don't lead to godly wisdom, then we sometimes have an even bigger problem, don't we? And so the point is this. We need to pay attention to our minds. How do we know that? Because the Bible talks all about it. Think about what the Bible says. It says, guard your mind. It says, set your mind on things above. Have the same mind as the Lord. It says, be like-minded or same-minded. It literally says, gird up the loins of your mind. It literally means get your mind ready for action. The Bible says, be mindful of God's words. Renew your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be sober-minded, whose, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. 
Don't be double-minded. It talks about the futility of the mind. There is a lot of talk about the mind when it comes to those who believe in Jesus. For those who, who are born again, the mind is very, very important. Matter of fact, the mind, how you grow mature, uh, maturely, uh, spiritually, has a lot to do with what's going on with the mind. And we find that idea all through Scripture. So the condition, focus, and development of the mind determines our ability to be wise or to have godly wisdom. So look on your outline. Definition of divine wisdom. It is the ability to think and act utilizing knowledge. Of course, knowledge in our case would be God's truth. Experience. The whole idea uh, uh, of experience in the context of God's truth. Understanding is where you get to the point where you understand the why and how. Discernment, where you can distinguish between two things to determine what is true and what is not. And then there's the idea of insight where you see things clearly for what is to come. There's some insight that you have. And then most importantly, when it comes to divine wisdom, spiritual illumination. And many would say that this is the finished product of what the Holy Spirit is up to in your life. Now, in the midst of life's deceptions and decisions and circumstances, we need these things. Especially the idea of spiritual illumination. It is where the Holy Spirit brings together the Word of God along with the experiences and the circumstances in which you live, and you are able to have a, a wisdom or a perspective of what God is up to when it comes to your life. Now, let me say this. Wisdom, divine wisdom, godly wisdom is missing in our society. How many of you can see that? It's just as clear as it can be. I mean, some things that when we look at things in our society that are being promoted and we see things, how many of you just kind of scratch your head and you're like, what in the world? And the deception is rampant in our society right now. And there's a whole generation there's, there's after us or maybe in the midst of us that, that has fallen for every deception that the world is producing right now. And it's alive and it's well. And, and many of our families have been touched by this. When a person lacks wisdom, they will believe and fall for anything. And it is so true. A leader without wisdom fails those who follow them. A parents without wisdom have failed and will fail their children. Divine wisdom, godly wisdom, is something that is necessary for us to promote the things of God. It's necessary for us not to fall into the deceptions that we see all around us. Now, I want you to think of this. The source and perspective of God's word, that's the worldview, creates wisdom. When we understand the source of God's truth, that it be the creator... And him revealing something to us to build our lives upon. That is the source. And when we begin to, to look into that and develop the wisdom from that, we develop a perspective that is godly. Now, wisdom, think about it. If you flip the idea, wisdom creates perspective. 
It's literally a lens to the world. It's us spiritually maturing in such a way that we develop godly wisdom from truth, from the source of God himself, in which we look at the things that are around us and we have a perspective on it that comes from God. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you remember your life when you had a perspective uh, that was not of God about certain circumstances in your life, and then now that you've matured, you have a perspective about your circumstances that does come from divine wisdom. Isn't it a lot easier to see it through divine wisdom? Doesn't, doesn't, isn't there more security in that? Again, think about the world. Deception is everywhere. We're literally trying to navigate ourselves through some of the heaviest deception that I can't imagine the world's ever faced. I mean, think about some of the deception that's out there. It's amazing. Now, so where does all this come from? Look on your outline. We're talking about a wisdom that is revealed. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he wrote the book of James, tells us that wisdom comes from God. He even goes, goes far to say that if you lack wisdom, what are you to do? Ask God. Ask God for the wisdom. Let him bring that insight. And then you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is attempting to, to compare something here. He's, compares, he's comparing human wisdom with divine wisdom. Look at what he says in verse 6. He says, however, or now, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. When he talks about those who are mature, some translations say perfect. Of course, we know that even as we live in this world today, we're not perfect. But what this literally means, the word mature or perfected, literally means complete, lacking nothing. And so when we look at the idea that, that God has revealed wisdom to us, it is a wisdom, think of this, y'all, that is complete and lacks nothing. It is the final say-so from God himself. And that's what Paul is setting us up for as it relates to this conversation. So look at verse 6 again. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. It is a wisdom that is complete and lacks nothing, yet not the wisdom of this age. Not the wisdom of this society. Not the wisdom of this world. And then it says, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. The wisdom of this age, listen, is lacking and it's going to pass away. It's going to come and it's going to go. God's wisdom, however, has always been here. We're going to find that out in just a minute. It's always been here and it will stand forever. It is eternal. And that's why he's trying to get us to see. Verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. What that literally means, it is foreign to those who do not know God. It is foreign to those in which the Spirit is not directing in their life. It's foreign to them. Therefore, it is a mystery. And then he says the hidden wisdom, think about it, has been shielded from them. It, uh, the hidden wisdom which God ordained, here it is, before the ages for, before the ages for our glory. Here's what it means. God's wisdom predates human wisdom. God's wisdom, as I said, is eternal. It was here from the beginning, and it'll be here at the end. Okay? So, verse 8, 
which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Basically, what he's saying here, they totally missed the greatest thing that's ever happened to mankind. They were so blinded and so deceived, and yet the ones who literally called for his execution were those who were supposedly in the know. How many of you know that? It was the religious, the ones who claimed they worshiped Jehovah God who had his son crucified. What he's trying to say is, if they could miss it that much, that the very son of God would come into their presence and them totally miss it, he was talking about how human wisdom can really get us turned all the way around. Look at what it did to them. And the same thing can happen to any of us who are being drawn by the wisdom of this age or by human wisdom. Now, he goes on, verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, let me just say this. A lot of times we use this verse, and I've used this verse to describe heaven. And there's nothing wrong with that because that, that would fit, be an appropriate description of, of heaven. But in the context of this verse, this verse is not talking about heaven. This verse is talking about those who obtain and have divine wisdom. It's talking about there is a whole new world that's going to open to you when you begin to move towards the mind of God. There's a whole new world that's going to come to you, a perception that you've never had before, something that's greater than anything that this world can produce if you begin to know the wisdom of God. That's what he's talking about. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. It is a life lived in the context of God's wisdom. That's what he's talking about. That's the context of this verse. Verse 10. But God has done what? He has revealed them. What? His wisdom to us. How? Through his spirit. Now, here's why we know that. The spirit knows the mind of God. The spirit knows it. Well, how do we worship God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see three entities there, but they're the same. They're the same. When one's thinking this, the other's thinking that. It's all the same. It's, it's coming from the same perspective. Look at what it then says. For the Spirit searches all things. What this is saying is that nothing is withheld from the Spirit. It knows all things. It knows the heart of God, okay? Yes, the deep things of God. Verse 11, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Now, what this is saying is when you move the, the mind of God, when you move all that wisdom out and you're left with just man's reasoning, man's wisdom, he's basically saying, it, how, does, how does it come to us? Through other people. Building on principles, build on what they call their principles, building on one thing on top of the other. How many of you look at some of the deception out there? And again, it blows our mind, doesn't it? And you think, you know, if you just remove one piece out of this, the whole thing collapses. How many of you have the wisdom to see that? If you take one piece of what the world's done by building this great elaborate scheme of deception, 
by the way it is, and you remove one piece of it, the whole thing crumbles. That's what he's trying to say here. It's not lasting. It is man's reasoning and wisdom upon man's reasoning and wisdom. And when you look at that, I mean, here's something you need to think about. Evolution. How many of you remember when evolution started coming around? In the 1800s, anybody? No, I'm just kidding. No, but how many of you remember that was the talk in the 70s and the 80s and 90s right up to even sometime today? Did you know that a lot of scientists are walking away from the idea of evolution? And yet it was one thing that was built upon another that was built upon another. And the whole, the whole premise of it is a hypothesis. And yet they built what they call their truth upon one thing to the next to the next. All the disciplines you study many times in college, they carried all the way back to this idea of evolution. And yet many are walking away from it. If you pull evolution out of the equation, all of it collapses in on itself. Isn't that amazing to think that? And yet that's what we see. And this is what God, what's what Paul's trying to describe to us. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And how do you know the mind of God? How do you understand it? The Spirit of God reveals those things to you. It is a wisdom that's not obtained, but that is revealed to us. It's not obtained from the world. That's the reason it looks so different. So, first of all, we have wisdom that is revealed. Secondly, wisdom that is received. Look at verse 12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from whom? God. That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And the context he's talking about, one of those things is his wisdom, his perspective. Verse 13, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, what that's saying here, he's basically explaining the differences between human wisdom and the wisdom of God. He's saying the wisdom of God is for, is for those who are spiritual, now, what does that mean in the context of what God's Word says? He who is spiritual, listen, is the one who has been redeemed. He's the one who's partaken of the salvation that God gives to us freely through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the premise of what the foundation of our spiritual being is all about. Because once we do that, the Bible says the Spirit that's being talked about here then indwells us. That spirit is the one who guides us into godly wisdom, godly wisdom. Now, once it's revealed, it's on us to receive it. You understand that, right? Once it's revealed, which it has, how do we know? Because it came from God, because we got God's word. We, we see God's word. We're directed by the spirit to God's word. The spirit uh, shows us. Uh, it convicts us when we go off of it. It shows us what we need to know. It guides us. It teaches us. All those things. What is it doing? It's moving us towards God's wisdom. What he has for us. But the received part is on us. Now, next we see wisdom that is discerned. Look at verse 14. But the natural man, the one who is unsaved, the one who is not directed by godly wisdom, 
does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. How many of you, how many of you have been close to someone who's not born of the Spirit of God, who's not saved, and you get so close to them that you, you, you are almost a mystery to them? They cannot get where you're coming from. They're, they're just like you're scratching your head about where they're coming from. They're doing the same to you. How many of you have developed that close of relationship to someone? And, and you see it, and you're like, oh, my goodness. We're, are we even living on the same planet? How many of you listen to the news and listen to the opinions of others through social media? And you're sitting there thinking, What? It blows your mind, doesn't it? And, and again, it can only come from two places, the wisdom of man or the wisdom of God. It can only be one of two. Now, others can influence it like we're getting ready to see, but it really comes to those two. So, <clears throat> their foolishness to him, the second part of verse 14, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, I'm, I'm going to say something. I'm going to use hard language. I'm just confessing some things. But how many of you read some things and hear some things or hear some politicians say, and you just kind of walk away saying, idiot. <laughs> I'm just confessing here. I've done it. I've thought it. I've, idiot. I mean, and, and listen, let me, let me just tell you, even through preparing for this message today, should we have compassion? where godly wisdom is lacking. The only reason we have godly wisdom is because it was given to us. And, and sometimes when I look at these people and I'm just scratching my head and I'm just like, idiot. I mean, I'll be honest with you. That's what wants to come out. But can they, based on the authority of God's word we just read here, can they help but think that way? No, that is where man's wisdom produces and does. They are a victim of that deception. And some of you are saying, no, they're pretty much idiot. <laughs> no. It, it, it literally says, God's word literally says, they can't comprehend the things of God. They won't come to the same conclusions we're capable of coming to. And it goes on. <clears throat> Again, this is the reason. Listen, this is the reason the world looks at us so strangely. Verse 15, but he who is spiritual judges all things. It literally means this. They see things clearly. They see things beyond what others see. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. It literally means when we obtain or we receive the godly wisdom that God wants to bestow upon us, listen, it will always be the right conclusion. Now, does that mean we can go around saying, I'm always right? No. No. How, how many of you have in your faith walk or journey, there were some things you thought back over here before you were more mature, mature you are today, and you were totally wrong. And you had to literally learn the right way. Because there was a deception in you that you weren't even fully aware that it was there. And then once the Holy Spirit revealed that to you, then you're able to say, Ugh. Do you know that we'll be doing that till the day we die? Do you realize that? 
There, I, listen, I, I kind of hate to admit this. I've been preaching now for about 25 years on a consistent basis. I go back and look at some of these old sermons, and I'm sitting here thinking, oh, my goodness, where, what in the world? <laughs> Was there intentionality and all that? No, no. I, I, listen, the, the point is we're constantly maturing. We're constantly growing. We will never get to the point where we know it all and have it all end all. But how many of you have met those Christians that way? Yeah, but it, it continues. It continues, but it's available. Let me just say this. Sometimes we don't discern things properly. How many of you realize that a baby cannot discern? If you put a baby on the floor, okay, and you throw out the, the squishy toys and the teddy bears, and you throw a knife in there and some poison and all that, guess what? That, everything's going in that baby's mouth. They can't discern any differently. And y'all, sometimes that's what baby Christians look like. They're just now leaving that old world, and now they have the Spirit of God living within them. And, and here's what we need to understand. When the Spirit of God comes to live with us, it's not like a light switch and everything makes sense now. Now, for some people, there is a genuineness to the change, and it's apparent, and it's quick. But for most of us, it is a maturing process. It is, it is literally growing in Christ. That's what good discipleship looks like. So life is full of decisions and must require discernment. Now, hold your place here and turn to James chapter 3. Turn to James chapter 3. Hold your place there. We're going to quickly move through this. Now, James tells us that there's two kinds of wisdom in this world. Okay, And we've been talking about it. There's man's wisdom and there's God's wisdom. But I want you to look at it a little differently. I want us to look at what was called distorted wisdom, okay? Distorted wisdom had its beginnings in the Garden of Eden. How many of you remember the story, okay? The enemy, if you think about it, came to Eve, and what did he do? He distorted the Word of God, okay, which created doubt. Now, the enemy created doubt in the mind of Eve about God's word. Then, before everything just started moving, everything started moving real quickly at that point. Once the doubt set in, she started realizing there's some desires that she had. And she desired something that was not of God, something that was not of God's truth or of wisdom. And what did it lead to? Forms of destruction, didn't it? It did. I mean, think about it. That is the origination of where distorted wisdom came from. Now look on your outline. Distorted wisdom opposes truth. In James chapter 3, look at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Okay? Who are those who are maturing in that? Let him show by good conduct, good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of what? Wisdom. Godly wisdom. And he's saying it shows up in conduct. It's not just something that's embedded in the mind. It comes forth. It's demonstrated. It's seen, clearly seen. But if you, verse 14, have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Now, here's what this is kind of saying. He's basically saying if you who are of godly wisdom or have the opportunity for godly wisdom... Why sometimes do you choose to live opposite of that? 
How many of you have done that one before? We've all been there, haven't we? Now, think of this. The Bible says in Proverbs that as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. Okay? This tells us that our problem is where? Inside of us. Okay? How many of you... Uh, <laughs> Um, isn't it easy to, to attack, attack your spouse? I mean, they're closest to you, right? It, how many of you sometimes think that if they didn't make you the way you are, you wouldn't be such, such a bad person? <laughs> I mean, they've made me this way. They've, they've done, no, they haven't. Where did it come from? It came from you. It, it's in you. There's something wrong inside. Bitter envy in verse 14 could be translating raging jealousy. It literally means displeasure of the good fortune of others. Self-seeking in verse 14 means selfish ambition. It's the idea that everything's about me. So here's the idea. Jealousy's desire is to demote others while self-seekers or selfish ambition is there to promote oneself. Both together means to drag someone down while trying to lift yourself up. This motive only leads to destruction. It is self-centered instead of God-centered. And what God is trying to tell us all through his word is God-centeredness, God's wisdom, God's perspective is always better than what's inside many times. There's a conflict that's there. And Paul's going, I mean, excuse me, James is going to talk about that. Next, distorted wisdom originates from depravity. Verse 15 this wisdom does not ascend, descend, excuse me, does not descend from above. But where does it come from? Well, it's earthly, it's sensual, and it's demonic. Now, James is pointing out that wisdom, that, that wisdom that is evil comes from three different places. Okay? The depravity it originates, number one, it is earthly in nature, and that's the whole idea of the world. Now, it speaks of a system of thought ways of doing things. This person bases his or her decisions on earthly or worldly considerations. They follow the counsel of others. A true follower of Jesus, listen, is to look at his situation, his or her situation, from a heavenly perspective and not an earthly perspective. Now, let me give you an example, and I've used this before. Paul and Jacob, Jacob of the Old Testament and Paul of the New Testament. When, when, when things happen to Paul, what can we hear him saying? All things work together for good to those who love God. Right? Is that a heavenly perspective? Yeah. yeah it's all, it's in God's, it's, it's wisdom. It, we're going to leave this up to God. God will determine the outcome. He'll put it all together. God's up to something. I can trust him. Jacob, however, every time he turns around, he's got the mentality. All these things are against me. All these things are against me. Now, does that originate from heaven? No, that originates from the, this world. That originates from the messages that he was hearing. And so all of a sudden, you've got all these different things. They're two completely different messages. Yet Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind. Okay, that's the, where wisdom can be attained or not. Set your mind, your affections, your focus on things above, not on the things of the earth. It's always going to mislead you. All these things are against me. No, it's not. Heavenly perspective says God's up to something. Heavenly perspective says I can trust God. 
In verse 15, where James uses the word earthly, John, when he writes his letters, uses the word world or worldly. Look at the verse here on the screen, 1 John chapter 2. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of this world. All sin can be encapsulated in these three areas. He's saying it stems from the world. It comes from the world. This alone tells us that wisdom from the world is not godly wisdom or divine wisdom. Next, distorted uh, wisdom originates from depravity. Secondly, through sen- it's sensual in nature. It comes from us. It- it's capable of coming straight out of us. How many of you sometimes realize you're your own worst enemy? Aren't we sometimes? I I mean, it can get bad. I mean, sensual wisdom comes from within. It must be fought against. The Bible tells us that. You know what the Bible literally says to do? Put it to death. Kill it. But, But it's a wisdom that basically says, if it feels good, do it. If it feels right, just do it. Romans 8, look here on the screen, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds, or focus of their mind, are on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, okay, that sensual mindedness or whatever, is death. It's going to lead to nothing. There's no great outcome to it. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity. It means it's at war against God. That mind, the feel good, if it feels good, do it type mind. The one that says it's all about me. The one that can't, uh, that's jealous and have selfish ambitions and all that. It literally says it's working against the purposes of God in your life. When we set our minds on the flesh, on the wisdom of the flesh, it always leads us away from God and his desires for us. Based on these verses, listen, we will never find peace and we will never please God following the wisdom of the flesh. It leads to destruction. Next, there's a third place this originates from. It's demonic in nature. It can come from the enemy himself. So so here's the three fronts we're fighting. The world and its system Okay, it can be deceiving, our own flesh, okay? But not only that, the enemy, he's setting up structures to bring us down, to cause us to walk away from godly wisdom. So, So when studying and dealing with the enemy and his forces, we tend to go to two different extremes. Here's what we do with the enemy. Sometimes we underestimate the enemy, okay? Uh, And that's where we can become open prey. Adam and Eve underestimated the enemy. They didn't realize just how far he can take them. Don't you agree that one day they woke up and said, oh my goodness, what have we done? They did. Okay. Jesus didn't underestimate the enemy. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Mount of temptations. He's there. The enemy's there. Jesus didn't stand there in his own strength. He didn't didn't bring anything to the conversation with the enemy that came from the world. He didn't bring anything from the conversation that came from within the flesh nature that, that could have actually could have responded to him. 
Where did it come from? It came from the word of God. He used the wisdom of God to defeat the enemy. He didn't underestimate him. And then there's times where we overestimate the enemy. We make too much of him. Where, where we blame everything on him. Anybody ever had someone tell you, well, I'm sorry, I, I reacted that way. The enemy got the best of me. <laughs> well, part of that, couldn't that be partly true? Yeah, but who allowed the enemy, gave, gave him that outlet? We did. We did. Isaiah 6, 26, 3 reads this. God will keep that you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed, it literally means focused on him. We don't focus on the enemy. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't give him credit for anything. No, we, 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 we look to God. His wisdom, that's where peace comes from. Now, in Ephesians 6, 10 through 11, it says this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Okay, so who are we going to be strong in? In ourselves? No, we'll go down. In the Lord, the power of whose might? Power of his strength. Put on the whole armor of God. There's things that's been given to us that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. Now, the word wiles there are schemes literally translate the craft of deceit, the art of deceit, the systematic procedural processes of deceit. And we're faced with those all around us. The enemy, through a systematic procedure, desires to deceive us into thinking that the ways of God are not profitable, nor the best way to live our lives. He wants us to trust in our own wisdom, which, by the way, is born out of our own fleshly desires, the world's wisdom or his wisdom. And guess what? He doesn't care where it comes from as long as it's not God's wisdom. He doesn't care. If you want to be your own worst enemy, he'll let you have at it. Sometimes he'll even sweeten the deal. Next, distorted wisdom not only opposes truth or originates from depra depravity, it operates in chaos. Now, I, I'm not going to, don't raise your hand because you might incriminate yourself. <laughs> How many of you at times would describe your life as chaos? Okay, don't, don't, you can look at the person next to you, or, but don't, don't put it on you, okay? <laughs> Let me just tell you this. I have found when my life is in chaos is when I'm not under the instruction of God's wisdom, okay? I many times bring the chaos. Do you bring the chaos into your own life sometimes? Listen, you may be just, you may be sitting here today, this is how deceived you may be, and you may think, that the reason your life's in chaos is because of everybody else. That's really deceived. But there's times where I look at my life and the drama I'm dealing with, my instability, my fears, my insecurities, all stem from right here. And, 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 it, and it creates chaos in my life. How many of you have ever met people and they, they're dealing with some of the things you never thought you could ever deal with in the way they're dealing with them. And you look at them with such admiration and think, man, if that was going on in my life, I'd be the worst mess ever. And yet they sit there in dignity and in peace and confidence in the Lord. 
Y'all, that's godly wisdom. That's perspective from on high. That's something that will, and, and the point is, you don't see chaos in their life. Even in the worst of circumstances. For, for where, look at verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exists, when it's made all about us, when we're constantly not getting enough because we think we deserve those things that are out there, it leads to confusion. It's unstable. It's insecure. There's a fear of loss that comes with it. There's drama. And every evil thing are there. It produces so much more. Next, distorted wisdom. We see divine wisdom, and it is clean in its desires. In James, it says, but the wisdom that is from above is purer than peaceable. Divine wisdom, however, is rooted in a holy life, a clean life. It's a life that's pursuing the things of God. When he says peaceable, it means it gets along with others, gets along with themselves, because godly wisdom is acting upon in their life. That pure and peaceable is a characteristic of divine, divine wisdom. Next, divine wisdom is considered in its disposition. Look at verse 17 again, the second part. It's gentle and willing to yield. It's not always about them. There are things that we have to stand on, principles we must stand on. But not everything in this life is about us. We've got to look beyond ourselves, and divine wisdom cares us there. Divine wisdom is compassionate in its dealings. In James chapter 3, this, the third part of verse 17, full of mercy and good fruits, this person sees those struggling and reaches out to them, even those in their deception. And sometimes that's hard to do because we live in a divided place, uh, society right now where those that disagree with us or those that we disagree with many times, they're not just someone who's out there. They become the enemy. Not intended to be that way. We're to throw them a lifeline. They're living in world's wisdom. They're living in their own wisdom. We need to throw them a lifeline of God's wisdom. That's what we've been called to do. Divine wisdom is consistent in its dealings. Look at the last part of verse 17. Without partiality and without hypocrisy. This person is not just catering to those that are like them. They are reaching beyond themselves. They're reaching that God, divine wisdom, is there. And then lastly, wisdom that is possessed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you'll look back there, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Who is so proud? Who, who has got it so figured out in their own wisdom that they think they can instruct God? But we have what? The mind of Christ. We've been given something completely different. So what is that pursuit? What is pursued? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as babes in Christ. Now, what he's referring to, he's referring to those who are young babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. Even now you're still, still not able. Paul was basically saying there's an expectation for you to grow. There's an expectation for you to get off the milk of the word and get on to the, the steak and tater, so to speak. It's time to move on. It's time to grow up. And yet he's saying, but many of you are still at the foundation. You haven't grown in God, godly wisdom, divine wisdom. You're still where you used to be. It means he has a desire. 
And there's several things. I'm just going to give you the blanks. Wisdom that is pursued, how? And you can find these in Philippians. I don't have time to look at them. By maturing. There's an expectation for us to mature. Secondly, by forgetting. Sometimes we need to forget not only those regrets that tie us down and put us into bondage. We need to let those things go. If repentance is necessary, repentance, have repentance. But you got to keep moving on. That's what the Bible's saying. Next, wisdom that is pursued by reaching. It's the idea of striving towards something. How many of you have ever seen um, uh, maybe a, a race, a foot race, and, and, and they're, they're, they're reaching out with everything they've got? to get to the finish line, to win. Wisdom that is pursued, how? By pursuing. It's the same idea. And then lastly, by unifying. By unifying. The outcome of godly wisdom, here it is right here, is for us to be growing in such a way that the wisdom that we've received from God brings us together. Let me tell you, over and over again, Paul in especially, he was the one planting all the church. Every epistle that he writes begs those people in that church to be like-minded, to have the same mind, that they are working together to expose godly wisdom to those around them. And he says, you know something? Paul, in every, in every episode, tells you, and here's what it'll look like. There's an expectation of what this looks like. So here's the application. Which source of wisdom directs your life? Distorted wisdom that can be deceptive, manipulative, and bring destruction, or divine wisdom that can bring peace and maturity? God wants to bring maturity to you. I want to just ask you right now, we're, we're not going to sing. We prepared a song, but we're going to kind of end it right here. And I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And this morning, I don't know what you came in here with. I believe, based on talking to so many people, that many of you came here seeking wisdom. Maybe there's something you're dealing with in your life, how to deal with a relationship, how to deal with the decision, how, how to deal with the circumstance you're in right now. And the Bible says that if you lack wisdom, godly wisdom, ask of God. For some of you, maybe heaven's been quiet on the issue, and you've been praying, and you've been praying, and you've been praying. Can I encourage you just to stay with it? That, that just like Philippians 3, that you, that you keep reaching, that you keep maturing. Because during those dead times when we don't hear from heaven, sometimes I've known in my own life there's some of the greatest transformation that happens in my life. When I just keep trusting, I keep pursuing the mind of God. Father, I pray for those that are here today, Lord, that if they don't know you as their Lord and Savior, help them to realize that they're never going to have the wisdom that you desire for them, that that only comes by your Spirit. And Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know you today as their Lord and Savior, I pray before they leave here, they talk to a pastor. Father, I pray for those who are looking for that wisdom, Lord, that you just grant that, Lord. I, I just pray you'll encourage them somehow, that you'll give them that. Because you, your word says, if, if you like, ask. I pray you'll give them that. But Father, most of all, help us to be a body of Christ here in this community 
that has the same mind about things. And that that mind doesn't come from worldly philosophies or worldly wisdom, but it comes from your wisdom, living out your truth, teaching your truth. Father, help us to be about that. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for being here this morning.